Restoration, Revival, Reformation. This is a Renowned Faith broadcast. You can find more information at RenownedFaith.com. Now, here is J.R. Darwin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is a Renowned Faith broadcast. This is J.R. Darwin. And today I wanted to continue on with my background and um, a little bit more about myself as a way for everyone to get to know me and where I'm coming from. You know, today I wanted to talk a little bit about some of my experiences within Pentecostalism, and I don't want to get too much into it because ultimately a lot of this podcast will deal with different um, experiences that people have within that type of movement. And so after I was saved, I um, started going to a Pentecostal church that was not only Pentecostal, but also what we call a Word of Faith church, um, which was directly associated with Rhema uh, Bible Training Center and Kenneth Hagin. Some of you may know Kenneth Hagin from his uh, famous book, The Authority of the Believer. Um, he's authored many books um, and was really the one to propagate um, confession and how and explain to people how confession works. And I know last time, if you didn't tune in last time, we talked about what it is we mean by confession, um, at least in the sense of uh, word of faith doctrine. And by confession, we aren't talking about the Catholic form of confession where you go to a priest and talk about your sins. In word of faith confession, it's about speaking things into existence. It's about speaking things and words having a creative force within reality and forming those things into the future of your life. And we can see already, I mean, just explaining it, I mean, sirens should be going off in your mind about how new age, how it seems so related to the new age movement. And we'll do podcasts later on to establish those roots of how Kenneth Hagin became involved in this type of thinking. But right now, suffice it to say that I became involved in the Word of Faith movement, and we'll talk more about it later. I also said that I, how, I don't know, how much I wanted to learn more about God how much I wanted to read my Bible and how much I wanted to learn and be around other people and ask, you know, them questions about different scripture that scriptures that I was, I was reading through and different books of the Bible. And I had so many questions and I was just looking anywhere, somebody to ask these questions to, you know, and, uh, when I finally got settled down into a church, it was kind of refreshing for me because I was like, oh, I can finally ask my long list of questions that I've been wondering about, you know, as if they might have all the answers and it were that easy. Um, but I, I can just remember the zeal that I had and, you know, the heart just to know the Father more. And, uh, I mean, it, such a precious time in my life and even looking back on it um, to see how I was a bit 
overzealous in some areas. Um, but I don't know that one can be too overzealous in the area of wanting to know God more and learning about him. Unfortunately, I think I was led kind of down a path more of mysticism and knowing God through these types of spiritual encounters and experiences rather than knowing God through the Bible. And those two things can differ uh, because there are times when these spiritual experiences occur and they are contradicting the Bible itself. And so many times I think people in those types of movement movements will take that experience and believe it more than the scripture or the, or they will take an experience that seems completely real to them and try to find a passage in the Bible that confirms it or approves what they've learned. And I think ultimately that's the wrong way to go about Christianity. That's the wrong way to go about knowing God. We don't know him through all of these extra biblical experiences. We know him through the word. We know him through the Bible. We know his characteristics. We know about him. We know who he is through throughout the Bible. The Bible says that it is the more sure witness, you know. So there's always this notion, I think, within these types of movements where they think that they know God more because of the spiritual experiences that they're having. And that somehow confirms that they're on the right track. Except there's a problem with that, a big problem. Because so many other religions outside of Christianity have the, have spiritual experiences. They experience ecstasy or, um, you know, a powerful feeling within themselves, um, or visions or reoccurring dreams or hear inner voices or speak in other tongues. None of these things are particularly Christian. They happen throughout a lot of religions. And I've often wondered, why are people Buddhist? Why are people Hindus? Why are people this and that? When I know that the truth is in Christianity, and we experience so much peace and so much love, and all they have to do is go into a service, you know, and just feel the, the spirit and the anointing, right? Except except that when they go into their own services or when they go into their own meditation or their, or their religious practices, they feel something similar. They feel a bliss or an ecstasy. They feel a peace within themselves from that religion. And I've often, I've had to ask myself, how can this be? How is this? I'm not a universalist. I don't believe that all roads lead to God. I believe that there's one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Just like Jesus said, he's the, he's the only way to the Father, and if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. So how is it that these other religions can have these types of experiences? And I would, I would say that it's deception, demonic deception that is intentional on behalf of the devil. That if he can't pull people away from God, he'll fool them into thinking that they are serving God through some form of religion. I think ultimately all false religions have their place in the mind of Satan to trick people and draw them away from the truth of God and his word. And so he sets up all these little fake religions and false religions that that aren't really worshiping God, instead are worshiping demons. And as a way to fool them into going deeper within the, their own religions, 
He gives them these signs and these confirmations and these spiritual experiences that draw them deeper, much like he did to me in the New Age movement. You see, the deceiver is subtle. He works in subtleties. He draws people in slowly, and then he gets his hooks in them and doesn't let them go until they cry out to Jesus and they're rescued. And so he has... The enemy has his hands in all types of false religions around the world. And God, for some reason, has granted him this ability to fool and deceive people in a spiritual way through false signs, false wonders, false gifts, false peace and assurance, false ecstasy, and false bliss. Go to a Buddhist monk or a devout Hindu, and they will tell you about their their blissful experiences with their gods. This isn't something that we can ignore any longer. As a Christian church, we can't ignore these things. We need to come up with a solid answer because we have whole sections of Christianity claiming that this ecstasy and bliss that they're experiencing and this holy laughter and all these other spiritual things that they're experiencing are from God. And yet they resemble so much of the New Age movement, of Buddhism, of Hinduism, of Taoism, and all of these other religions. And we have to wonder, are these other religions being intermingled into their Christian faith? And they've come to accept a false spirit, a spirit of divination, a a familiar spirit, some type of spirit that gives them this peace and this comfort and this bliss and keeps them distracted from the truth of God's word, keeps them distracted from the sacrifice of Christ, the redemption of their sins, but more importantly, distracts them from sharing that message with others, distracts them from taking the truth of the gospel message to other people. Instead, they're too busy trying to minister this anointing that makes them feel so good, rather than ministering the truth of the gospel. Now on Facebook, I'm friends with a lot of different people, a lot of different um, subsections of Christianity. I have entered a lot of their discussion groups and I've chatted with a lot of them and I know a lot about what they believe. And there's this one group who's all about the ecstasy of God and soaking in his spirit and in his bliss, heaven on earth and heaven now. Do you want to know how this group shares, <laughs> I don't even want to say shares the gospel because that uh, that's not even what it is. Do you want to know how this group supposedly evangelizes people? They stand on a corner with a sign that says free hugs and people come up and give them a hug and they just, uh, that anointing and that bliss that they have all over them transfers to the person that they're hugging and that person just uh, knows God's love right at that moment. And that's their form of evangelizing, is sharing this this blissful spirit with people, not preaching the gospel, not letting the Holy Spirit convict people of sin. No, no, no. Let's just transfer this beautiful, blissful feeling, uh, spiritual feeling to people. My friends, this is such a huge distraction from the true gospel. You see, the enemy has put a veil of deception over some of these people and some of these Christian sects that it, it troubles me. It bothers me a lot because, I don't know, there's just something about it where you, when you see Christians who are so 
devout and dedicated to the wrong things, but they think that they're devoted to God and Christ. I mean, can can anything be more heartbreaking than that? Can anything be more heartbreaking than that? I mean, I I don't know. Maybe I can't. I don't know their hearts. I don't know how much they want God. Ultimately, I think if they wanted the truth of God, they wanted the truth of His Word, they would find it. He doesn't hide himself from people who want to know him. But instead, so many of these people don't want the real God. They don't want the God of the Bible. They want a God of their own creation. They want an idol that they built with their own hands. And their idol gives them bliss every single day. They have their comfort in a false Christ, in a false God. And so much of me hopes that they will repent before it's too late. Yes, they've been blinded by deception of the enemy, but part of the fault falls on them also because they haven't broke free. They haven't desired truth more than a lie. They haven't desired the truth of God. Instead, they've settled for something that is false. So as I continue to experience different things as a new Christian, um, I can recall special guest speakers coming to the church and you know, it would be like a big party, basically, because you knew what those types of services were going to end up like. They were going to end up like a, you know, a little bit of worship, a little bit of preaching the Bible, supposedly. And then it was going to turn into a madhouse because everybody's going to be lying on the floor and, you know, the, uh, the preacher's going to push people over and may, and they'll expect, be expected to lay on the floor for a while and, and get up and, go about their day and their business completely unchanged. They call it being slain in the spirit. And so many times I've seen it fake. So many times it's a show, an act, something that gives uh, more showmanship to the preacher than to God. Gives It brings more attention to the preacher than it does to God, in my opinion. And so, yeah, I experienced those things. And there were some... Actually... You know, sometimes they would prophesy, you know, and as you were up there, you know, before they pushed you over. And to my surprise, looking back on it, some of those things that they actually said to me were true. Like, there were a couple occasions where I hadn't told them anything and they knew something. And we have to ask ourselves, how does that happen within Christian circles? And we have to ask ourselves, what spirit is giving them this information? Um... I don't know. I guess there are three options. One, it's their imagination or their self. Two, it's the Holy Spirit. Three, it's a false spirit, a familiar spirit, a demonic spirit. So which is it? And I think in some cases, it's all, you know, it's one of the three. In some cases, it's just the preacher making it up himself. In another case, I think it maybe is God. In another case, I think it's the devil. How do you distinguish between the three of those things? Now, first of all, I don't, I have a big issue with prophecy and the prophetic movement in general and how that's done. And I don't think that God usually talks to people by calling people up to the altar and the minister laying hands on them and prophesying over them. I've seen a lot of false prophecy that way. And so, um, when I give that option that it could be God, um, there are some disclaimers on that, but that's for another show. So what some of these, uh, preachers had prophesied to me were true, right? 
Now, to me at that time, that confirmed that I was on the right track, I'm in the right church, the gifts of the Spirit are moving, and all of these things. And I look back on it and think, no, I was wrong the whole time. The doctrine was completely wrong. How does God do that through a a wrong doctrine, a wrong view of God, a wrong view of the Holy Spirit, a wrong view of Scripture, so many things that were wrong? How does God do that? Well, I mean, I don't discount that there are rare instances where he can do that by his own grace, by his own mercy, and intervene and do that to touch a person. I don't think it happens very often. But I think in more instances in those types of churches where the prophetic is is moving a lot, or supposedly moving a lot, um, in more cases than not, it is the person making it up by their own imagination, or it's a demonic spirit. It's a familiar spirit. And so we'll do podcasts on how do we discern between these things if somebody gives me a prophecy, if somebody is speaking things over me in a church, or um, how do we distinguish? How do we have discernment in these types of things? And uh, it's a very frightening thing to think that a demonic spirit, a familiar spirit of divination can be working from behind the pulpit. I mean, that's a scary thing to think about. But when you think about it, I mean, there are psychics and there are, you know, medians and people who communicate with the dead. And I realize a lot of them are just fakes and phonies, but I think there are some real ones. They don't communicate, obviously, with a real dead. They communicate with demons, okay? And... The same with their kind of psychic ability and knowing. It's not uh, some advanced human evolution. No, it's them giving themselves over to the occult, trading their soul for demonic power. And you see, they have some accuracy. Um, and I don't know, I would put their accuracy around 65%. And so we see that people can know things. Even in the occult and in a lot of the other religions, their gurus and different things, they're fed information in a spiritual way about people. And they can communicate those things to those people. And those people can think that, oh, that person is really, really close to God because nobody told him any of that stuff. And he's telling me that. But they don't realize that there is an actual spirit behind it, a spirit of divination. A familiar spirit. The Bible talks about these things. Even the fortune teller, you know, in the book of Acts, uh, the fortune teller's uh, owner was making a lot of money off of her. She had a familiar spirit, and it would feed her information, right? And then she goes and she follows Paul around, and she already knows that there's this spiritual power that's been tormenting her, probably. And she's like, I see real power here. I see a power to be free, and She chases them, (laughs) you know, until uh, the demon is cast out of her. Now, I'm not supposing, I'm not claiming that there are a lot of ministers within the Pentecostal movement who are possessed by demons. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they are influenced by familiar spirits. They think that it's the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about them being possessed or all these other things. I'm talking about them yielding to the wrong spirit because they don't have discernment. And that's a scary thing to think about, that we need to be on our guard with discernment 
at all times, even in the church and especially in the churches. So I, uh, I decided I was going to Bible school. I felt a calling from God to preach and I decided to go to Rama Bible Training Center in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. It was a word of faith school and, uh, I went down there not knowing anyone and, uh, went there for a year. Um, took the summer off, went back home for the summer and then went back for my second year. Uh, the program was two years. Um, and I focused on evangelism was my uh, major. You know, my first year of Bible school, I mean, it was interesting. I mean, I can almost look back on it and see <laughs> a couple of the days throughout the year where something just didn't sit right with me about what was being taught and how I just cast that aside and said, oh, I'm just going to believe it. You know, and I think that there's a culture of that at that school to just accept what is being taught and move forward. Don't question things. You know, and all the curriculum, of course, was based on, you know, what Kenneth Hagin believes. All of the textbooks were, or the majority of them were written by him. I don't know. Part of me wishes I'd have went, I would have went to a real seminary because at least then I would have got a balance, more balanced perspective on different doctrines, you know, and different beliefs. But instead at Rhema, you get a full dose of one belief, and that's the word of faith doctrine. There is very little explore, uh, exploration of other forms of theology or, you know, even of Christian thought. It's, you should believe <laughs> Kenneth Hagin. Smith Wigglesworth and all the past Pentecostal preachers, you know, from this date, clear back to 1900. And it's too bad they can only go that far back, right? They, they can only go back a hundred and so years. Um, but I don't know. I guess in class, I mean, there were some class classes that I really enjoy and there were some that I didn't. And it's, I don't know. I look back on it. And I think, how can I, how can I say this? You know, Kenneth Hagin was the head of the school, you know, and he's just, you know, in we're, the word of faith movement, he's just the ultimate prophet, you know. But I'll tell you, when I sat in Kenneth Hagin's classes, oh my gosh, snooze fest. This guy did not captivate me. He did not have any type of anointing, any kind of spiritual anything. I literally fell asleep during most of his, what he said. I mean, he's not the most captivating. And maybe it's by God's own grace that I fell asleep through most of what he said, through most of the class that he, classes he taught. Because who knows? Maybe that was God's way <laughs> of shielding me from, uh, more indoctrination. I don't know. But, uh, and I didn't have a lot of classes with him because by that time he was getting pretty old. And, um, so we only had a couple classes with him and it's not like I slept through every single class, you know, but the majority of the time, sometimes I would crack a good book. I sat in the back row during his classes and, uh, so I could do that. I could crack a book and ignore him and shut him out because what he was saying usually didn't make much sense. And, uh, I don't know. I guess you find that a lot because it's like you have to know all the terminology of the word of faith movement. And, you, you know, they change words on you and, you know, a word that would mean one thing to one type of Christian doesn't mean the same thing to somebody in the word of faith movement. So they mix up their vocabulary a lot. 
um, and use, you know, special terms of vocabulary to mean certain things that they were never intended to mean. So anyway, next time I want to talk more about my experience at Rama. I'll talk more about maybe some of the cracks in my foundation of my Pentecostal foundation that started to appear, you know, over the years. And uh, ultimately, my time in the desert, a literal desert. I hope you'll tune in next time. And uh, I just bless you and thank you for listening. That concludes today's broadcast. We hope that you will visit our website at RenownedFaith.com for more information about this ministry. We humbly ask for your continued prayers.